Welcome to A Trip to the Movies, I'm Alex Zane and this episode is brought to you by who else but Odeon. I love an Odeon, especially an Odeon Lux. Whether I'm on the red carpet at a movie premiere or popping down to my local cinema, the feeling is always the same. Pulling open the door to hear the huge spine-tingling Dolby Atmos sound bellowing from within. The irresistible glow of the gigantic 4K iSense screen drawing you towards it, four times sharper to capture every detail. Relaxing into those luxurious reclining seats and feeling that sense of anticipation as you excitedly sip on your favourite tipple before emerging at the end of the film trying to put into words what you've just experienced. It is nothing short of magic. You can book your Odeon Lux experience at odeon.co.uk or on the Odeon app. They say we make movies better and I couldn't agree more. Also, just before we head to our fantastic virtual cinema, how would you like a pair of tickets to head to a fantastic and very real cinema? Because the lovely people at Odeon have handed us a pair of tickets to give away every show. So, if you'd like the chance to head to your nearest Odeon and enjoy a movie, all you need to do is leave us a review. I'll explain more at the end of the show. Finally, if you like to watch your interviews rather than listen, you can find the full video interviews in glorious Technicolor over on our Trip to the Movies Patreon. And if you want a little taster of what they're like, why not subscribe to our Trip to the Movies YouTube channel? Okay, back to this episode. If you're ready, let's do this. Hello and welcome to A Trip to the Movies, the podcast where each week a special guest takes us on an incredible journey as they curate their perfect night out at our fantastic virtual cinema. This week, we are joined by an award-winning music artist and producer. He's had two UK number one singles, 15 top 10 hits, multiple platinum records. His eclectic CV has seen him play with everything from rap to dance to pop and his eighth studio album, We May Grow Old But We Never Grow Up, was released last year to huge critical acclaim, taking us on today's Trip to the movies it's the brilliant example oh wow that was probably the best best introduction i've i've ever had no come on really i always i always find these in these um these introductions they never really get into your personality or your faults or uh-huh. <laughs> yeah they tend to sort of steer away from uh, anything like yeah, that yeah. but listen if you if you liked it and you're looking for i believe they're called a, a hype man I am happy to come on stage at your gigs in Australia and and just sort of say a similar thing. Sure. I mean, well, I, I do do a lot of gigs in the UK still, so it'll probably save you the trip. You could probably just come down to Birmingham Academy or Latitude Festivals instead of coming all the way to Australia. But but you can, you can see why I might want to come to Australia. That's why I sort oh, yeah. of advertised Australia because it's oh to, to like have sleepless here. nights with my kids. Yeah, all right. Just being woken <laughs> up at two a.m., four a.m., five a.m. Because, I mean, listen, I don't want to sound quintessentially British, but how is the weather out there in Brisbane right now? Because we're in an well, Arctic I'm, blast here. I'm in a, I'm in a singlet. I'm, I'm even saying yep. singlet. I've only been here four years. <laughs> I'm in the singlet. Um, I'm in my vest. Uh, it, today was uh, about 30. Um, I'm in Brisbane. So Brisbane's pretty good. Like when it rains, it's bad. And the, the floods and, and so on, when it, you know, it's tropical. But mm. most of the year, you know, the, the winters here are August and it, for me, that's, I'm usually in the UK doing festivals, so I don't really, um, miss it, you know, at all. Um, but most of the time, you know, I feel like I live here permanently from like September till April. It's 20 degrees every day, pretty much. I've got a cupboard. I'm not going to show you, but there's a cupboard right here full of yep. hoodies. There's, there's like probably 20 hoodies 
that I've brought over from the UK. I've probably worn two of them a few times. <laughs> I've got a jacket cupboard, which I never go to unless I'm doing a music video. Um, even my T-shirts, sometimes I look at my T-shirts and laugh at them and go, as if you're going to be used today, you idiot. Um, so that's that's the vibe, man. Brisbane's pretty cool. It's, um, I get up and some mornings and just fall backwards into the swimming pool which is right outside my bedroom oh. and it's you know all right it's uh, yeah it's anyway let, let's enough of that anyone listening no, it's from the just, uk is uh, gonna hate yeah if anyone's feeling like i'm feeling right now i think i, I think my cup it, it runneth over uh because that's enough that's enough information about how glorious uh the weather is in swimming people pools are like talk about movies kind. talk about films you dicks <laughs> well no before we get into that because like you said you were in the uk last year was that um was that your first proper festival season then after the pandemic? Because it looked like you were—it looked like you were having a great time. Now you're an energetic live performer anyway, but it seemed like a big, a big release of sort of like not being able to perform to that size yeah. crowd for a while. It was mad because in our, in I'm in Queensland, uh, Australia's got seven states, and like a bit similar to America, every state has their own laws. You know, not not like England with counties. It's like <laughs> West Sussex have got a new law today. No, um, <laughs> the vibe uh, over here in the pandemic, I feel like we got it. Re- we were really lucky. There were hardly any cases. I I did about ten festivals during the pandemic in Australia. Six of them okay. in Queensland and uh, four up in Darwin. Darwin didn't really have any rules like you could turn up with a negative test and just walk around because it was mm. the middle of nowhere, so remote. And um, compared to Sydney and Melbourne, who got it really bad, Brisbane, where I live, Queensland, Gold Coast, was we, we had it really good. And then when I did my first UK um, run after that, because obviously the UK then everyone was having jabs and then it was everything was open again and we were having festivals. And then everyone in Australia and New Zealand was looking over there going, what, what the, f-? you know, because we were still, we didn't really have to stay indoors, but we weren't allowed to do things in big groups. We weren't allowed to go, they weren't allowed to go watch the cricket and so on. And, um, watch the rugby or do festivals. So I went back to UK, but I did eight gigs over nine weeks. It's not that much. Like mm. the summer just gone, I did like five times that in the same amount of time. But it was this huge problem trying to get out of the country. Then it was like, you know, so I'm saying goodbye to my wife at the time and my mm. kids for like 10 weeks. So you, you're dealing with that, but then it was like, everything didn't really feel normal. But the summer that we just had felt like we're back. You know, mm-hmm. like you didn't have to show certificates for being triple jabbed or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. So it, the world feels open and normal again now, pretty much, which is the the, yeah. the main thing. But, you know, considering like my job is being on stage, singing, rapping, shouting at people, major- you know, I play all over the world, but the majority of my income is UK, Europe, that pandemic not only you know made me ask a lot of questions about myself but obviously you know i've ended up in the last year going for a divorce and then you know new relationships and then you know what about the kids and it's um so when you think of that period everyone has their own different thoughts in it and i know so many couples who split up i know people who went through bad times people lost their jobs you know finances all sorts but that time will really really i think resonate with people for a long time to come and i suppose mm-hmm. i the next thing, considering what podcast we're on today, is like, what are the movies that are going to come out of this still to come? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it wasn't a normal, like, the words like quarantine and um, <laughs> they weren't normalized. They weren't in our in our lexicon. We didn't use these these words, these phrases. And even to hear my five-year-old 
I've got an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, and even here's my five-year-old on occasion just go, Dada, have you got the corona? You know, these words <laughs> wow. and phrases, like, it gives you a shiver. I still drive past the quarantine hotel I was in um, when I came back from the UK, you know, a few years ago, and it gives me shivers. Every time I drive past it, I'm like, double middle finger, you know, because it's like that two weeks alone in a room was just horrendous. So you had to do that. You were in there for two weeks. You quarantined on the way back to yeah. Oz. Yeah, yeah. I quarantined. I basically um, set alarms, like six, seven alarms a day, a yoga, uh, a spinning, I had a, a spinning bike delivered, which I rented, a weight session. I had some weights dropped off by my uh, protein smoothie, uh, had healthy food delivered. And then in between that, I read books and watched entirety of Sopranos from start to finish in two weeks. Oh, <laughs> that sounds... That sounds actually quite nice. I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Obviously, there's a downside to it, but wow, yeah. that sounds all right. It was amazing. It was weird, though, like knowing, being sat in there and not really knowing what I was coming out to. Like, I'm missing my kids, but not really knowing what I was coming out to in terms of my marriage. And that was a mm. tough thing. You know, like these two weeks, you just want to fill and squeeze and smell your kids and and then then your life and your relationship and all these other things. But that's not what this is about. This is not a self-help podcast, is it? No, no, no. I, it, does, <laughs> it does interest me though, because I, I did, you know, I, I've seen that you, you know, you you have been, I don't know whether the, the phrase is looking after yourself, but certainly like being more, um, I, I, you know, I feel I feel like a fraud using buzzwords when I'm not myself not into it. Be more mindful. Like it seems like yeah. you've got into a, a space Mindfulness like that. Is, is definitely something. I mean, like I've never been religious. But I've always been respectful of other people's beliefs and religions because, you know, growing up in South London, the school I went to was uh, very multicultural and you learn a lot about life. And then you you meet certain people who are just like, oh, I can see why religion works for you, you know, because they're living mm. in the like the toughest fucking scenarios possible. And if God's there to help them, then great. But I, um, I was never really spiritual. I didn't believe in zodiacs and star signs and the sun the moon and the stars i didn't believe in good karma i didn't believe in good energy i used to you know laugh at people who did yoga and i kind of just i started turning things around mate, a few years ago like goldie actually got me into yoga i don't practice yoga often but i you know go to classes but i do stretch in front of the tv every night um i'm not completely sober but i'm way more in control of what i was like compared to a few years ago five years ago when i was probably at my worst and but I do really believe now in good energy and karma and mindfulness. I regularly do saunas and ice baths. I do breath work, mm. um, you know, holding breaths and dig deep breaths, you know, Wim Hof style. And I've just my outlook on the world has changed a lot. I don't know if it's having kids. I don't know if it was, you know, whatever. I think maybe just if you're creative and you've got a certain type of brain, you, you've got the ability to start thinking differently no i'm not i'm not saying you can't if you're not creative but i think the line of work that we're in in film tv music art you meet certain people that you feel like you collide with and you there's a transference of energy but if you'd have told me 10 years ago that i was going to be that person now i'd have told you to fuck off i'd be like no way <laughs> so oh, it's almost like you know you're the opposite of your latest album's title in a certain way because we may grow old but we also do grow up as opposed to never grow up yeah, I think when I was saying we may grow up, but we never grow up. I think for me that I was, um, I was looking around me a lot and seeing people my age 
and kind of lost their zest for life and lost the energy. And, you know, they had no hobbies. They had no interests. Um, they didn't have the energy to keep up with their kids. They went out once a month with the same people to the same place. They wore the same things. They went to the same place. And I was just, I saw it in London. I saw it in Australia where I live. And I was just like, fuck, man, what a de depressing way to be. And I was, you know, that whole album and the message was me kind of like self-therapy, but also mm. just saying to people, you know, you can, because, you know, I'm, I'm 40, but I've been doing music 15 years. So I've got this new generation of fans now that I see at my gigs who are probably 16, uh, 18. Uh, I see people in their 50s, 60s and 70s at my gigs. But I don't know. I think sometimes I never, I just got into music because I like rapping or I like dance music mm. and I like the sick drop but I never really thought about what the music meant to people coming to my shows. And then now I'm more conscious and less high and less drunk you're, you're at these gigs and you can see the reactions to people when you're reading people's DMs. Like you couldn't read DMs like 10 years ago, you know, MySpace, you could read comments, but people open up more in DMs and tell you way more. And then you start to realize, you know, you kind of have a duty to these people who follow you or, you know, listen to you. That's interesting because, I mean, like, obviously, as I mentioned, you've got a, a huge Instagram following and, uh, you know, I watch your reels on there. And the idea that, you know, is it the case that musicians now like yourself, you know, you you need or rather you don't need quite as much, uh, you know, mainstream radio uh, play and, you know, you don't need the radio stations to go, yes, OK, we'll put you on the heavy rotation or so forth because you have an access to a, a much younger generation, an old generation as well who can discover your music online. Yeah, for sure. I, 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 when I started in 2005, 2006, I was delivering vinyls around the country in my mum's Vauxhall Corsa. You know, 10 vinyls in Brighton, 10 vinyls in Nottingham, 10 vinyls in Birmingham. I probably dropped off 200 vinyls that cost me three grand to press. And I'm a sale, a return receipt. And then at the end of six months or a year or whatever, I probably sold like 17 vinyls. Not that this was a boom era for vinyls, but I'm just saying like this was a bleak time in terms of like, I didn't know anything about radio. I didn't know how to get in magazines. MySpace was just starting up. And like, and then I, when I did sort of have this massive, on my second album, having, you know, done already, already done like 700 gigs. In 2009, I had my first top 40. And in 2010, it was like floodgates open. I had like 27 top 40s. I, I was like on radio in terms of radio one alone i think i had like 18 a-list records in a row but and everything was great you know i played i was headlining festivals I, I, was, I played 67 countries in one year i um did two arena tours in the space of 12 months i was like other than rihanna the only other artist to do two arena tours in one year i think <laughs> i was like the, you know and and i and at the time yeah radio was very important it wasn't about YouTube. It wasn't about TikTok. Instagram wasn't a thing. You know, Instagram was just a thing where you uploaded pictures of yourself with a filter on. You know, like I think now it's like everyone has their thing. Some people, you know, are big in the clubs still, you know, because clubbing still a thing and will always be a thing. Some people are big on TikTok. Some people are big on radio. Everyone's different. I think 10 years ago, you could call it. It was almost like you had to be on radio or you had to be on the Graham Norton show, or the Jonathan Ross show. Like I don't get much radio support anymore in terms of, you know, daytime playlisting from the mm. big three, the Kiss, the Capital and the Radio One in the UK specifically. Obviously, my stuff's available around the world, but I also don't really do much television. 
and mess with someone says, oh, come on, do you want to come on Bake Off and win Bake Off? I'm like, yeah, I'll come on Bake Off. But the <laughs> point is, is the moment I stop worrying about all that stuff and just release music that I love and just go about, like, I'm going to put on the best performance possible. Obviously, there's four or five songs in my set that everybody knows, which is great for me. And I'm not mm. delusional. I, I'm not like, yeah, they love the new stuff. I'm like, there's a lot of people <laughs> who love the new stuff. There's still, you know, I, I did Camp Festival last summer. And there's six, seven, eight-year-olds, my, like my kids' age, on their dad's shoulders or their mum's shoulders watching. And then I get a DM saying, are you were the highlight of their weekend? So I'm like, there's another new generation. <laughs> the, the, I think the best thing, and I, I, I apply this to most art forms, is just like, just do what comes naturally. But the less you care, the more success comes or the happier you are. Because I'm just, for the yeah. foreseeable future, just going to release music I love. Okay, yeah, my back catalog is, you know, I've worked hard enough and released so much over time that I'm still going to get these bookings um, and be able to live and feed my kids. But it's such a nice feeling to go to bed at night, not worrying about are you going to be in a radio playlist next morning? Um, yeah. You know, if we don't make that radio playlist, this single's fucked, this campaign is fucked. It's just like, I do it all myself. I direct my own music videos, I cast them, I style them. Um, I was uh, editing them up to a point, you know, but then realized I handed that over. I decide the artwork. I decide what I'm going to wear. I'm like, I'm going to get more tattoos that make me look like I'm having a midlife crisis. You know, just, <laughs> um, it's just like a one man band really. Um, but it's working. So I know you direct, um, uh, some of your music videos, and I, I mean, this is a quote going back uh, a little way now, but I, I do remember you saying that you, uh, you you would maybe want to direct a film in the future, perhaps like a horror movie or, or a thriller. Mm. Is that something that is still sort of bubbling away in the back of your mind, or was that something that was, you know, said uh, at the time? No, no. Like, my first love and my main passion has always been film. Like, I studied film at uni. I um, I was an editor. I worked for Paramount Comedy Channel and MTV and Nickelodeon. I was doing bits of tape traffic control in libraries. And on the side, I was editing and doing voiceovers. And when I was a kid, I told everyone I wanted to be an actor. And when I was a teenager, I told everyone I wanted to be a director because most kids don't really know what a director is. I mean, they might do now, but if you do, you're probably a weird kid. Um, <laughs> and I think, you know, I've dipped my toes in all these things now in, into acting. It's funny because I was just watching Titanic this evening with my kids and my eight-year-old was just like, we were talking about it and I was just like, oh yeah, you know, your dad's been in the film with that baddie. He's like, what? I was like, you know, Billy Zane. And I'd, I've only been in three films, but one of the films I was in, White Island, this independent funded film uh, shot in Ibiza. It's got some merits, it's got some good moments, but what's mad is it's like, Billy Zane's in it and... Uh, Billy Boyd from Lord of the Rings. I yeah, think yeah. Merry or Pippin, one of them. One of the two. Um, one, definitely one of the two. One of the two. And Darren Day's in it. There's a couple of random actors in it. I'm in it. Um, and I kill Billy Zane at the end of the movie on a boat. And it was just watching Titanic again today. It was a bit like, <laughs> you know, and then <laughs> I, if I'd have said three years ago to my eldest, like, you see that guy there? Because he watched, he always, I remember five, three years ago, he was, he was five years old. He was like, Dad, I want to watch the end of Titanic. I want to see how it goes down. Like, I think he thought he was watching a documentary. He had no idea about acting and directing and CGI. Now he does. So it's like really mm -hmm. exciting talking to him um, about certain things. And like, I was just like, yeah, your, your daddy killed that guy in another movie. And it was just like, 
I was like, that's my foray into acting. I don't need to do it. But I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like the waiting around, uh, relying on the weather and the lighting guy and the sound guy, et cetera. But I do want to get, I do want to direct some movies. I've got a few feature film ideas, like scripts pretty much written. I'm just going with the flow. I feel like I could still be 60 years old and go and direct a movie. So you've actually written these scripts yourself as well. This is like, these, these, are, these are projects from the ground up, yours. Yeah. Like, oh, well. one which is, um, kind of like uh the in-betweeners um meets wolf creek um <laughs> oh what a log line what a pitch what an elevator pitch i don't i think i'm i don't i'm kind of more energized than ever at the moment in terms of just life and creativity like and i used to think i had to wait until my career was when my music career finished naturally and i sort of run out of mm. steam and then i could focus on film and now i've realized that I might be doing this music thing for another 10 years. So like, I need to start oh. planning on shooting this films, these films in between, you know? Well, uh, on that note, as we're talking about film, it's time to head to our virtual cinema. Elliot, you're now about to take us on your perfect night out at the cinema. You are our guide. We are your audience. Let's go on a trip to the movies. So... We push open the doors to our temple of film and find ourselves in the foyer. There's an excited buzz, as there always is in a cinema foyer, the hum of anticipation. Come with is there us. always a buzz in the cinema foyer? What <laughs> cinemas always, have you been going always. to? <laughs> this is the perfect cinema. This is the perfect virtual cinema. You're, so- you're in the 1930s in Times Square going into the cinema. I don't think... <laughs> Ah, what about these new talkies? (laughs) Most people are just farting and fighting and arguing in cinema. But anyway, carry on, sorry. Yeah, I'm uh, loving this foyer right here. So, who have you picked for your perfect cinema trip, living or dead, to go with you? I'm a massive fan of stand-up. And I, I for a while, wanted to be a stand-up comedian. Maybe one day I will when I've conquered movies. But no, I (laughs) am... I've always been obsessed with Eddie Izzard. And I think one of the things that I used to love watching, watching his early sketches is that he's such a cinephile. He, the way he picks apart movies, I've always thought, like, you know, obviously he does his pastiches and his parodies. Everyone yeah. knows his um, famous sort of like um, the, the canteen on the Death Star. Darth Vader. Darth Vader well, in the Death Star canteen, yeah. But it's not even that. It's like everything. Like, and, and then he breaks down movies in such a way where you're just like, the next time you see them, you can't unsee or unhear whatever Eddie Izzard has done in terms of... And he does it with so many films. So I just think he'd be the ultimate person to go watch a film with and then break it down with afterwards at dinner or at a pub or whatever. Like, you know, you should be like, oh, I'll take my dad because I remember my dad or I'll take my girlfriend. With like, but no, it should, I think I'd take him. Yes. What was the? That's, I remember the one that cracked me up was the one where he's talking about the Great Escape and the difference between the American yeah, yeah, yeah. hero and the Brits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Steve McQueen. He rides and rides and rides and rides yeah, yeah, and rides, yeah. and he does a jump, and he's yeah, going to yeah. escape, and they're chasing him, and then the British guys all get round up and shot. He goes, he goes, <laughs> Meanwhile, all the British people, <laughs> the English, are just rounded up and shot in the head. <laughs> Steve McQueen. Oh yes, I'm on the bike. Ooh, I'm on the motorbike. Ooh, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's, he's, I think he'd be awesome to to go pick apart movies afterwards. Yeah, do you do you? It's it's weird that you picked Eddie. He said he was my sort of uh, 
gateway into stand-up because I, I I'd never really sort of I think it was because he made stand-up cool. Like I remember watching yeah. the, it was the definite article. Uh, was the 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 one where yeah, he's I the love red. That one. I've still got that on VHS somewhere. You know, I think the thing with him is you realize the chats that you have with your mates at 2, 3 a.m. sometimes, and you're like, ah, this is so funny. This would be recorded. He does that sort of weird shit that he's just like, you know, when someone's like, oh, you're hilarious, you should be a stand-up. And everyone's like, no, we can't be a stand-up. He's like, no, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I actually I dipped my toe in the stand-up world after watching that and realized that it's it, it, it's not as simple as just going onto stage and talking nonsense. There's a real craft to what he does. That was eye yeah. for me. I was like, I'll, I'll just go and talk nonsense and people will love it. But no, not yeah. at all. No, yeah, exactly. All right. Eddie Izzard is who you're going to the cinema with. So there's a clock on the wall in the foyer, Elliot. It reads a specific time. What time of day have we gone to the cinema? I always like, prefer to go to the cinema in the morning. So I I don't really like crowds. I mean, I like performing to them. Um, I like being on stage. I don't like being in crowds. I, I remember when I was a kid, I went to Ells Court to watch the Royal Tournament with my dad. And it was the first time I was aware of uh, being claustrophobic and not being like in big crowds. Um, when I started going clubbing when I was like 15, 16 in South London back in the late 90s, I, I remember always went to stand near the exit or a fire exit. I don't really like crowds. I don't like being surrounded by lots of people in the cinema, in the theatre, wherever. Um, so you get. To, I got to a certain point where I was just like, I can go to cinema by myself now. I don't need my parents' permission. I can go any time of day. There's there's, people, there's films on at 10 a.m. And that was the sort of turning point where I was just like, I want to sit preferably in an empty room at 10 a.m., wake up, go to the gym, sit in a you know a, a dark room, preferably empty. There might be one or two other weirdos in there. Pick whatever seat you want and enjoy the film and take in. Oh, the cat's just joined in. What are you doing? <laughs> go away. Who's this? This is Loki. <laughs> um, I wish he was well-trained enough that I could just sort of give him a hand signal when he comes on, but he's not. Um, love you, Loki. Oh. See ya. Um, I I love cinema in the morning. I, yes, yeah. I hate cinema yeah. at night. Like I'd rather go to cinema in the morning, and then you know then go to work, which for me might be a studio or festival or whatever, and then get home and then watch a film late at night. Cinema. I I think people who go to cinema like anytime <clears throat> after five pm are absolute nutters, like cretins, lunatics. Like why would you want to be sat surrounded by two hundred other people? scrunching cracking tortillas and popcorn and chocolate and late comers and people need a piss and someone having a fight with someone and someone arguing someone in the wrong screen why would you want to go to enjoy a film like even if you're not interested in the cinematography or the editing or uh-huh. or you know whatever oh the fuck it oh i loved it two thirds of the way through the, did you notice the grade chains oh the grade chains oh yeah like i can't enjoy that in a room full of twats. And when you're watching a film, everyone's a twat. Your mum's a twat. Your best friend's a twat. Everyone's a twat as soon as you're in a, in a, in a, in a cinema theater. So by my, you know, Eddie Izzard, obviously, for the purpose of this, but I'm, I've been to the cinema by myself probably a hundred times. Um, I went the other week to see Avatar by myself. And three days later, I went to see Avatar again by myself. Um, and Wait, you've watched the new Avatar twice already? I've watched the new Avatar twice. I'm I'm massive, I'm big on I love I love event 
movies and blockbusters and I love um I, I, I think just James Cameron's a genius like I I wrote my dissertation at uni on the Terminator movies my um dissertation in my third year was a 10,000 word essay on it was called from killing machine to parental cyborg the changes in masculinity between 80s and 90s action heroes and I scored, uh, I think, 86 on it, and it got published along with a handful of other um, film student dissertations that year. My point is, I'm just, I'm obsessed. Like, Aliens is one of my favorite films, and I just, I absolutely just love James Cameron. But, I mean, I, there's plenty of films. But I wouldn't, I'll go and watch Endgame. If I had to go and watch it with, like, friends and family, kids, whatever, and it was like a 3 or 4 p.m. performance, I can deal with that. It's probably going to be... Mm. 67% full in there and there's going to be a rustling and crisps and popcorn and laughing at the wrong times but I will then secretly go and watch it another day I'll drop the kids at school and they'll be like where are you I'm like I'm going to studio I'm going to gym but I'll go back to cinema at like 10am and watch Endgame by myself just to take it in properly you know what I mean yeah so the, the, morning, the morning is the best time for me all right all right because uh, a lot of people go yeah I like to go in the cinema to the cinema on my own unless it's an event movie because it, when it's an event movie people often you know feel the energy of the crowd especially when it's a huge movie like you know Endgame people want to share that experience because there's the whooping and the cheering and everyone's sort of in the same headspace yeah, and you feel like I part of a you. collective I get you but I just look, I love cinema and I want cinemas to exist forever I don't want them to go out of business but I want cinemas to exist purely so I can go by myself at 10am <laughs> Because I, I don't right. like my, most people really annoy me. Um, I want to sit there in silence and like, I, I went to see Top Gun Maverick by myself at 10 a.m. in Putney, Odeon, Lux during the summer in between some gigs. And I was like, this is unbelievable. There's about 30 other people in there. And I was like, there's maybe 200, 150 seats. And I was like, I looked around and I was like, I couldn't really see them. I, didn't, I, didn't, I was really proud of them. I was kind of like, fair play. I was like, we're, we're some of the first people in the UK to see Top Gun Maverick right now. Unbelievable. I felt like going around a high five in the morning. I'm like, and you've chosen to be at 10 a.m. <laughs> and they're not, they're not musicians, you know? I'm like, you've probably had a day off work or you've called in sick. And I almost was going, I go, fucking legend. Like 10 a.m. on a Thursday at the Odeon Lux Cinema in Putney. Well, it's you and Eddie Izzard going at 10 a.m. Yeah. So you've booked the tickets for the cinema trip. Where are we going to be sitting in the auditorium? Um, I used to be very specific about being in the very back row, and that's because I don't like anything from behind me. You know, that- like rus- rustling and like people kicking your chair. Old cinemas like used to be so tightly compact that you know, even if someone moved, like you'd feel the chair move. But like they're all quite spread out now, so you don't really feel the kicking of the chair, which is a great thing about these new multiplex style over the top cinemas. But um, I'm actually happy to sit anywhere now. I don't even have to be right in the center. Like, like to be honest, I go to cinema so early. Where I sit uh-huh. isn't really important. <laughs> it's usually <laughs> completely empty, you know what I mean? <laughs> so anywhere, I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to pressure you for one seat. You just say any seat and I'll put you there. But I need to know where we're sitting just to help the visual experience of this. Where are we sitting? Middle, aisle, center, say back, mi- mi- middle, Middle, center. Middle center. Yep. That's a, that's a classic choice. Middle center. All right. Just before we leave the foyer. Oh, the air is full of wonderful smells. All manner of snacks and foodstuffs are available at the various counters. What 
do you choose to eat? Um, sweet popcorn is pretty much what I eat. I love sweet popcorn. I've usually finished it by the time the trailers are over. Um, I used to love Revels. Like when I was a teenager and in my 20s and you could eat whatever you wanted and you wouldn't see it on your stomach the next day. Yeah. But yeah, uh, like, Revels or Maltesers or Minstrels and popcorn. Sweet popcorn. But no, no, I still go for sweet popcorn. Now, like in Australia, you know you can't get sweet popcorn in Australia in the cinemas. It's only salt. What? Yeah. yeah. So as you leave the cinema, as you leave the film, it's just full of like dehydrated Australians. Like, <laughs> man, where's the fucking water bubbler? Um, <laughs> so so there, there's only one popcorn option. There's not even, because I know in America they do butter popcorn as well, but it's literally. You can go to the supermarket and get a salt, a sweet popcorn in a bag, but. They only sell salted popcorn, like America. Like it's like salted or covered in butter, which is basically like lard, melted lard. You know, mm. I don't even like to talk about that. It makes me feel sick. And then the people who get a mix, you nutters. Like everyone <laughs> likes salted caramel, but you don't want to crunch on one side to sweeten the crunch. Ah, oh, anyway, let's not get into it. Okay, okay. So sweet and people popcorn who bring is- in people who bring in nachos with that smelly cheese with jalapenos on the top. Fuck off. They should be immediately <laughs> kicked out of the cinema. Like, honestly, like, oh my God. It's like they might as well sit next to you and just go, hey, uh, are you here to see the new Christopher Nolan film? Just check how my underwear smells. It's right here. I've got, a, I've got my underwear in my hands and I've got a fan blowing my underwear into your face. Can I sit next to you and enjoy this? Like, so, like, just... Go and watch it and then go to TGI Fridays afterwards or Frankie and Benny's, <laughs> you fucking lunatics. What are you doing? I'm serious. Uh, like, like the po- cinema should smell of popcorn. That's it. Like, it's like, oh, and I see people ordering it. And next thing I'm like, please do not be in my film. Please do not be in my film, you cretin. <laughs> Okay, there's some strong opinions about cinema snacks there, and I respect that. So I know this took a while to get us to do this, but I'm like, you know, I'm really glad we got here. Um, Yeah, but I'm not like, it's not like pent up aggression. I just really, really don't understand these people, like who want to eat like cheesy tortillas during a movie. (laughs) And whoever invented this, an absolute arsehole. (laughs) <laughs> we're going back down the line from the people the people who eat it to the person who invented it that person is really the source of the evil right fuck them anyway carry on <laughs> thank you right well on that note it's time to leave the foyer and walk down the corridor towards the auditorium posters along the cinema wall illustrate some of your most important movie memories so the first poster we're going to put up is your fondest movie memory what is it um, my fondest movie memory was um, me and my mate Nikki. We went to see True Lies, and we were. This isn't isn't not a, on purpose, James Cameron theme. But we went to see two, True yeah. Lies, and we were fourteen, and it was rated fifteen, and we blagged our way in, and it was one of the best. Like you still watch that film now, and it's unbelievable. It's so funny and so sharp and the action is incredible and the dialogue and the casting and everything. It's just, it's like the ultimate action film. I know like Die Hard's yeah. up there and uh, Predator and all that, but like True Lies is just, it's just perfect. It's just bonkers. Um, 
I just remember us both sat there and like 14 years old watching that and not really knowing much about it. There was a, I hadn't seen a trailer for it. I didn't really know much about James Cameron, even though I loved Terminator and I loved Aliens. I didn't really know much about directors because I was like 14. And like, you know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have YouTube. Um, I just remember I was a Schwarzenegger movie coming out and not having a clue what it would be about. And it was very obvious like, straight away. It was like a, a sort of riff on James Bond. Um, but what if James Bond had a family and, and then he's got a kid and then it's like all the questions you start asking about that. And what if my dad's this secret, this, and my mom's this, and I remember just, and then I remember you think it ends and it was around this time. You've got to remember most films were an hour and a half. And if you saw a two hour film in the nineties, that was a long film. Like everything now is minimum two hours and people are happy to watch three hours. Most films are two hours, 36 minutes. You know what I mean? And this film was like two and a half hours or two two hours, 20. And it just had all these massive moments. And then it just went on and on and on. It's like, it didn't (laughs) want to end. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah. And that was my first experience of like, like, okay, we've got into too young, but that's fine. You know, we're 14. We're, our parents aren't here. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, we're we're going to know what this is about. Not going to clue what it's about. And then just being like, fuck, this room's never ended. Like, and then just leaving the cinema and feeling like I'd grown up. I was like, you know, I was way off becoming yeah. a man, but leaving the cinema, going, I became a man today. You know, I, I now know what cinema is. I know what films are. It's the first time I was self-aware of my, I was aware of myself in the cinema seat watching the movie, giggling. It was pretty much empty and just being like, my parents aren't here. They haven't got a fucking clue what I was You know, that sort of feeling. That's like my favorite memory. But to oh, this day, I uh, kind of judge most things, but off that. It's got that uh, that wonderful James Cameron trope that he does in a lot of his movies as well, like where something that shouldn't be in a lift travels in a lift. Like in Aliens, it's like the the... The queen alien goes in a lift. Yeah. It's too big for the horse. Should be in a lift. Is he on the horse? Yeah, he's yeah. on the horse. He rides a horse up an elevator. Yeah, it's a, yeah. I just need to watch that again. This is an unbelievable film. All right, great. Our first poster is True Lies. That's going up. All right, the second poster we're going to be putting up as we continue towards the auditorium depicts your worst movie memory. What is it? I was watching um, Mission Impossible Two in Brixton with a girl that I'd really fancied and I finally got managed to get out on a date. And it was a packed cinema. It was about 9 PM, like the worst time to go to watch a film. And I remember there was a guy sat and he answered his phone during the movie. And it's not a great movie anyway, but he was just like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We said, all right. All right. All right. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. No, I'm just in the cinema, isn't it? Just in the, just, yeah, yeah. Just, I don't know the mission impossible. Yeah. 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 Cool. And they were like, it was a pack cinema. It was probably three or four rows back from me. And I remember someone turned around and went, will you shut up? And this guy in the, in the middle of his phone call went, don't make me come down there. I'll box you in the mouth. And I think then he was like, almost like he got this sort of buzz, like this boost of energy and then confidence. And he sat there and probably chatted for half an hour during the movie. And no one else, no one else said anything. That's, people are, yeah. people are mad. What a mad yeah. thing to do. Yeah, I walked out. And I've, I've, been, I've been in cinemas before. There's been fights over people shouting or arguing, you know, because um, people get quite confident in the dark, I think. You know, like, shut up, shut up. No, you shut up. 
And yeah, obviously yeah, someone yeah. every now and again is going to come up, uh, <laughs> get their comeuppance. But um, yeah, that was uh, that was like the worst experience. And then I remember about, it came out on DVD or whatever and I went to watch it again. I was like, what an awful movie. Yeah, it is the, it's the worst of the Mission Impossible movies. The uh, best thing about Mission Impossible 2 is that if Dougary Scott hadn't taken that role, we never would have got Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. That's the fact, isn't it? That's the fact. I mean, I think every time I see Mission Impossible 2, I do feel incredibly sorry for Dougray Scott because, yeah. like, uh, you know, like you say, they uh, they needed him back for some reshoots, overran, and therefore we didn't yeah. get a Dougray Scott Wolverine. And Hugh Jackman got it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's sort of, it's filled with sorrow for, for, yeah. for that man. Because- and I'm, well, the reason I gave you that answer is not just because the guy on the phone, it's because of everything that around it and then you know, this girl got Gemma got annoyed that I wanted to leave the cinema early and didn't go back to hers and went home and just was just annoyed really really annoyed for like probably a week is there is there a happy ending did things work out with uh, Gemma in the end no uh, I oh. think uh, maybe years later after I found some success with music things happened but <laughs> <laughs> Things went things went all right for Dougie Scott too. <laughs> oh, see what I mean? Just you can't yep. even joke about it. It just makes you sad. Right then. Yep. That's our second poster, Mission Impossible 2. So the third poster, as we continue towards the auditorium, we're putting up a poster that depicts the last performance that brought you to tears. What is it? Um Anthony Hopkins in The Father. Have you seen that? I have. I have. It's yeah. It's it's apart heartbreaking. From, apart from the fact that the performance is unbelievable and he's like incredible. I mean, I even recently went back and watched the other non-Silence of the, you know, the non-Jonathan Dem Silence of the Lamb films with him. Um, like, let's not forget one of them was done by Brett Ratner. Jesus Christ, you know. Red Dragon, um, X-Men yeah. 3 and uh, Rush Hour and anyway... But Anthony Hopkins in those films, unbelievable. I mean, he's remains the day. Everything is just unbelievable. But that film, I don't know. I'm fascinated with people, whether it's um, Clint Eastwood or Ridley Scott or Anthony Hopkins, people who, you know, get to their 80s and still deliver. And I'm like, how the fuck can you be that sharp? and fit and hungry and ambitious and to deliver one of the best performances of your career. It's like, you see it with Clint Eastwood and you're like, the guy looks like an athlete still. I mean, he's not even hunched over. He's got the best posture. It's like, what is he like? He's going to be 90 soon and like Ridley Scott's what, like late 80s and Andy Hopkins 80s. But and then, then, so obviously you watch the film and you're emotional and it brings up all the sort of things, you know, like what would I say to my own, my sons, you know, what, how would I deal with that if I ever forgot who they were or couldn't deal with that and what's it like for them and then what would it be like if my dad got that and you know I think of all the situations I've gone through with my own dad in the last few years you know when he's been upset or annoyed with me uh, whether it's been like you know me falling out my sister or addiction or getting divorced and you know you feel you let your parents down and then what if all of a sudden they had dementia and then you're battling this whole new thing of someone you don't really know and all the things they forgot and so on but that was the first initial thought after that. And I was in tears during the film. But my next thought after that was just like, I'm going into like my 40s now. Bearing in mind, you know, I look at, you know, some mates of mine or people I look up to like Goldie, who's in his 50s. who's He's helped me over the years, giving me a lot of advice. 
he's in good shape. He does his yoga. You know, he's got over his battles in the past and a crazy life. But I'm, 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 the, I'm still on stage jumping around, shouting, rapping, and seeing for an hour, hour and a half. But then you look at Anthony Hopkins in that film, I'm like, how are you so sharp at that age to be able to play someone with dementia? Do you know what I mean? Absolutely bonkers. I'm not like, if you understand camera angles and maybe how to direct or what's a beautiful bit of scenery or, um, you know, pace and tone and time. And, you know, you get certain age, you can get the best cinematographer, get the best sound designer, we get that, you know, which I'm assuming is where Clint Eastwood's at as a storyteller and Ridley Scott's at as a storyteller. But to watch Anthony Hopkins is like, you know, like a performance that is so commanding, but also quite subtle. I'm like, what's his brain at? What's he eating? What's he drinking? Like, what's he doing to be that sharp at that age? Did you, when you came to The Father, because I, I have a weird thing about The Father in so much as when I came to it, I did not know it was uh, about dementia. And I, I know some reviews talked about the fact that it was about dementia before, you know, before the film came out. But I didn't know that. And to me, yeah. I, I felt that was something of a spoiler, to be perfectly honest, to know the film was about. That I didn't know it was about I that. Watched... And that was good for me. Yeah, you're sort of going, what is going on? It becomes a yeah, mystery, yeah. it becomes a weird thriller, and then obviously you yeah, get yeah. the gut punch at the end. It's just astonishing. I like. I mean, I, I, I spend a lot of time on airplanes, and anyone who flies a lot knows that you cry at anything. Um, <laughs> but especially it's true. When, it's true. when you're on an airplane, it's just like, it doesn't matter what you start laughing about something and burst into tears. You look at the person next to you and they're like, yeah, me too. I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what are you watching? No, oh, no, I'm watching a Legally Blonde. Oh, yeah, me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, crying on planes is fun. But yeah, that film was just mind-blowing. Like, how do you prepare for a role playing with someone with dementia in your 80s? Yeah. I mean, he knocks it out of the park. He's, he's yeah. he, It fascinates me. Like, you know... You float around Instagram and there's like sites that like have these motivational like videos that just that's all they put up, just motivational videos, motivational videos. And some of them you're like, ah, but the ones where they found Anthony Hopkins talking about, you know, what changed his life and this yeah, self-belief yeah. that he has, they, they're just like, you're just like, I'm listening and I believe yeah, yeah. it. And he, I, yeah, yeah. he's a very inspirational man. Oh, huge. Right then. The father is our third movie poster that we're putting up and our final poster just before we enter the auditorium. This poster we're putting up depicts your unpopular movie opinion. What is it? Um, so of all the questions, when I read through them, I had an instant answer for everything. And this one, I was like, and I was like, like Ryan Reynolds, right, plays the same guy in every film. But I think he's one of the best actors of his generation. I think he's unbelievable. Um, and ju and I, just because he hasn't gone off and done vastly different characters or different accents or... I'd see just like even Van Wilde, the party liaison. I remember when I first saw that. I still think it's... I often put it in one of my favourite films, but I think it's one of the funniest films we've seen. It's just like... I felt like it was like you go and watch American Pie... And that's the one for the masses. But then Van Wilder just takes it that little bit further. And you want to be him. You like you want to be with him. And like and you're like, oh, like Americans are so good at painting their college, you know, their uni like system is like the best thing in the world. Like, yeah, there's all this hierarchical shit going on. But you know, if you're in the cool group, it's amazing to be cool. But if you're a nerd, it's amazing to be a nerd. And you know, everyone will win in the end of the day. And it's very different because we don't see that in the UK. We don't see our university 
like world put on screen in the same way you do in America. And I just watched that film and I was just like, I fell in love with the film and I thought, this guy's amazing. Didn't really hear much of him. And then all of a sudden it's like, he's a superstar. And then you're like, even his bad movies are really watchable. Like the stuff he's done with Netflix. I was like, um, six underground and project, project power of Adam. Adam project Adam. Yeah. So yeah. it's still watchable because you know that he just goes in and just uh, red notice just goes in and like does his take on the script. And it's so funny. And you're like, ah, oh, that's me and my mates chatting down in the pub. Like, you know, the humor that no one else sees, no one else sees how funny we are. So I think that's a huge talent, but I just think he's, um, he's just a bit of an enigma. He's just like, Oh, he's just so watchable. And then to be able to play himself as Deadpool almost and get away with it, but still as you know, a massive Marvel fan, a massive, massive comic book fan, not be annoyed by Ryan Reynolds trying to put his stamp too much on Deadpool, even though you're essentially just watching Ryan Reynolds. You know, I think, um, and a lot of people are just like, nah, 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 you can't talk about that. Like, you know, he's a good comic actor. It's like, you know, always plays the same person. Like, well, The Rock always plays the same person. And he's got a huge presence and he's got good timing and he looks good. But Ryan Reynolds, I actually think, is a really fucking brilliant actor. Okay, so your unpopular opinion is that Ryan Reynolds is probably the best actor on the planet, one of the greatest actors in the world. That's not, that's not my opinion, you, you're saying. Um, I'm, my, my opinion <laughs> is that Van Wilder Party Liaison is a great film. <laughs> okay, okay, good. All right, I'm happy with that. I'm putting up a poster for Van Wilder party liaison. Uh, maybe I maybe need to watch it. I just remember something about a bulldog's testicles in a hot yeah. tub. And that's it. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, hey, I'm not saying that's a bad I thing. I won't spoil it for you. I won't spoil it. I won't spoil it. All right, all right. That's our final poster. So here we are. We've arrived at the doors to the auditorium. Now, there's a queue of people who'd love to join you and Eddie Izzard in the cinema, but. This is your perfect night, and I'm guessing you don't want them in there. You just want it as you and Eddie. Yeah, exactly. Maybe even get rid of Eddie. It's just me. <laughs> you, you don't want to do that. Come on. He's your special guest. It's your perfect night. Eddie's coming with you. I'm not letting you get rid of him. So we go into the auditorium. You take your seat in the middle. Now, before we get into the movies you picked for us, we're going to play a trailer. The trailer for the film that you're most looking forward to at the moment. What trailer are we playing? Uh, Oppenheimer. Oh, the new Chris yeah. Nolan movie. Yeah, just, um, every Chris Nolan movie is an event. Every Chris Nolan movie is brilliant, unbelievable. It's an amazing experience. It makes you ask lots of questions. Um, I think Killian Murphy's had cinematic moments, but never been given that opportunity to shine, you know, as a lead male. You know, like when you watch him in uh, 28 Days Later, that's one thing. Um, but it's quite Indian, you know, arty and doesn't really get to do much, you know, script wise or, and then even like recently in, um, Quiet Place Part Two, pretty interesting, amazing presence, but like, he hasn't been able to really sink his teeth into anything, I don't think. And he's obviously, obviously been in loads of Nolan movies up to this point, but peripheral figure. So I think yeah. now that's why I'm excited. Like massive historical moment someone you've never really seen on, on camera before, you know, historical figure, um, ensemble cast, probably one of the best assembled, certainly probably of you and I's generation, you know, like 15 incredible names. I don't know. I just feel like it's going to be one of those films you just freeze every moment and every moment you can just print that and hang it on your wall. That's the one for me, really. Don't need to say any more on that, really. Right then. 
the Oppenheimer trailer. We're playing there. Okay, next up, warming this audience up now, getting them ready for tonight's double bill. Your favorite shot or sequence from a movie? I love the way that um, the sort of twist unfolds at the end of Usual Suspects. And <laughs> yeah. every time I've gone back to that movie, there's a there's a new thing that I hadn't spotted the first time. And I've seen that film probably 15 times. And the way it's the pace of the music and the way it's intercut with the limp becoming a real walk, it's just like, it just gets me every time. Um, and, and, then, and, and then the more you watch it, you're just like, as a society, how we would assume that someone wouldn't be able to hoodwink us because maybe they've got a speech impediment or a limp or a disability or something like that. And he just ends up walking straight. And I just, I don't know. It's just asked so many questions all the time because it, like the way Kevin Spacey plays it as well is just like, and the direction as well. It's just like, all the other characters are so like alpha or loud or masculine and, and take up so much screen space. Um, I just can imagine like they, uh, he obviously knew what the twist was going to be, but they, they probably, I don't know. I've not really watched much in terms of documentaries on it or, you know, DVD commentaries, but how many sort of different edits or versions of the end they would have had. It's just like a masterclass. Yeah. Yeah, that thing, that's oh. my favorite, I think, right? That's the one that still astonishes me every time I watch it. Because the pace of it as well, the build-up to it, it's like a, mm. you know, it's like a, that Phil Collins, like, I can hear it. You know, as that, <laughs> that initial, like, you know, and then it just... All right. So, you very kindly as a gift to our audience, have printed out T-shirts with your favourite movie quote on the front. What is your favourite movie quote? Do you know what? It's a, it's a tough one. I used to do, when I started doing shows like, uh, like 13, 14 years ago, there was a period where I worked with this one guy called Sam who we only worked, did about 20 gigs together. But he used to hand me my microphone and say, may the force be with you. And I could never work out if he knew it was because I was a massive Star Wars fan or it was just like, just a bit of a geek and he loved saying it. But I was just like, if you completely separate it even from Star Wars, I think maybe in my in the age of it now where I'm just a lot more mindful and a lot more about good energy, a bit more spiritual maybe. I just think that may the force be with you thing is like, I'd say that to my kids as they were going off to get married or if I, you know, we lived in a time where my kids had to go off to war or, you know, like, you know, someone's off to, you know, you know, someone, you know, someone's on their deathbed and they're about to pass away. I just always think that that is really <laughs> stuck with me. I like. Yeah. I've never, I've never, because it's obviously such a famous Star Wars quote, I've never really thought about it taken out of context. Yeah, I take it right. out of context and think that it's just such an amazing, like, it just resonates on so many levels. But like, I've got quite a few Star Wars tattoos. Maybe I should get May the Force Be With You. Like I've got this stormtrooper here and underneath it oh, says, yes. says, do it madly or not at all, which isn't a Star Wars quote. That's just one of my quotes that I wanted to. <laughs> also, you can't get May the Force Be With You from a stormtrooper. They're, they're, <laughs> you can't. they're absolute bastards, those stormtroopers, except for in The Force Awakens, obviously. Of course. Yes, Finn. Yes. Um, so where, what was the Star Wars movie that got you into Star Wars? Was it the original Trilogy, yeah. watching uh, it my on mom Christmas said, time. My mum said when I was four years old, I could work the VHS player in our living room and I would come down and put on a, a TV recording of Star Wars. So this would have been like 1986, maybe if I was four, because I was born in 82. And apparently everybody said this TV recording of Star Wars. And I used to 
play it over and over again. But my favorite Star Wars film is Empire Strikes Back. But I do think, I mean, Rogue One is unbelievable for what it's worth. Like, I think Rogue One is just an incredible film. But if I've done my, I've, I haven't done it for a few years, but I used to do my top, you know, 10 or whatever countdown of Star Wars movies. And there was a time where I had Empire Strikes Back on Rogue One. I thought about putting Rogue One above Empire Strikes Back. But I also think Revenge of the Sith is a really, really good movie. Yeah, it came together because we all we're all down on those pre- prequels. Well, not all of us. A lot of people are down on those prequels. It's a whole generation for whom the prequels are the greatest Star Wars movies ever. It's all, it mm. all depends on your age. But Revenge of the Sith, I think we can agree that's where it came together. So, I actually so like, I don't even mind Phantom Menace now. Like apart from, and I don't even mind Jar Jar Binks as much as I thought I did. Like around the time that those those prequels came out, I thought Attack of the Clones was the best film. And then having gone back to them now, almost like 20 years later, that's the worst. I think yeah. I thought it was the coolest because of the Count Dooku Yoda showdown. And, and then, you know, the first time you see Yoda like flying around, spinning around. But then actually, actually in Revenge of the Sith's in the, probably in the, at the top there. It's for me, it's General Grievous, the weird like yeah. droid with the four Unbelievable. lightsabers. Unbelievable. I think he's, he's great. But I mean, Rogue One's a great shout. Rogue One is the, it's, you know, even as a kid, Darth Vader was menacing but not scary. But the end of Rogue One is where you like you see Darth Vader as this ultimate yeah, yeah, yeah. force of nature. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. May the force be with you. He's going on the T-shirts. So the final thing before we get into our double bill is to play for our audience your favorite score or song from a film. Um, I'm going to go with um, Steeler's Will, Stuck in the Middle with You from Reservoir Dogs. And that's just because I'm... When I watched that film, I was watching something happening on screen and there was a song playing and I was like, I've never seen this in a film before. Not only that, and obviously Tarantino's done that so much right? his career where he's taken songs that should have been hits that weren't and were probably cult classics and turned them into hits in modern day. You know, um, that's one thing. But just there's so often now you see scenes in films where the music doesn't match what you're seeing and it gives it a whole nother meaning. And that was my first instance of watching that. And I didn't even know Tarantino was. I'd I'd read the hype about Reservoir Dogs, but I didn't know Tarantino was when I saw that film. And I went to um, a cinema in Soho, and it was about 6 p.m. And and they didn't give a a fuck about my age or what I was going on. Like, I went by myself, like, I think it was six months after it had come out in the U.S., and I just remember it was like when I really felt like I knew about films and nobody else around me knew about films or directors. And I was like, I'm going to see Reservoir Dogs. I was going to see like Korean films and Italian films and like Argentinian films, like throughout my whole teens from probably like after that True Lies moment, I think from like when I was 15 onwards, I was just like going to cinema by myself or anyone who wants to come with me. And sometimes they'd walk out foreign language films, anything that had been on at Cannes or Venice, you know, like Sundance uh-huh. Festival, sat in, in rooms of really weird people, usually in Soho or, or Camden or Notting Hill. And um, I just remember that going, like, you know, there's a guy cutting someone off his ear with this song playing, you know, I'm stuck in the middle of the year. And I was just like, it still really stuck with me that whole time. That was the moment that everyone talked about when I was a teenager in Reservoir Dogs. It's like, and the guy cuts the ear off. And you sort of eventually, when I got around to watching it, I'm waiting to see that. And of course, it's one of those moments where you don't actually see it. You know, it's like yeah, uh, yeah. the head in the box at the end of seven. It's like yeah, you've exactly. seen it because of the build up, but actually, nope. Yeah. All right, then. Here we are. It's time for our double bill. The first movie we're playing in our double bill is the movie that is most important to you. 
What are we playing for our audience? Um, Leon, the professional. Why do you love it? Why is it so important to you? I mean, it's like, I've got, like just so, you know, I've got the um, uh, Matilda. There she is. Oh, you've got her on your thigh. Yeah, well, I've got, I've got Mia Wallace as well. Um, <laughs> but we won't go into that. But uh, obviously, you might have noticed Frank as well from Donny Darko. Um, but um, I think loads of reasons. I was like, I couldn't believe how cool the film was, how much it flowed, how mad it was, how random it was. Um, Gary Oldman, uh, the soundtrack, the fact that I was about the same age as Natalie Portman at the time I saw it. That like fancied Natalie Portman. It was like my first film crush, which it was okay because we were the same age. Um, I didn't know much about Luke Besson, but then when I discovered loads about him, I didn't know much about Gary Oldman even. You know, around the time, it was just like, just so many things about that film. It's like the most comforting film, even though it's absolutely just bonkers. It was the first film that I was just like, if I was going to make a film, I'm going to make a film like this. You know, it makes it all look so easy and simple. Because when you break it down, it's such a simple idea. And it's just absolutely nailed. Like, I watch it every few years and I always stick it on with my favorite people. You know, like anyone who means a lot to me, I'll be like, have you seen that? And if they haven't seen it, I'm like, right, well, come around, we're going to watch that. <laughs> it's just like that, that film for me is like a comfort blanket. Yeah, it's, it's, I understand what you're saying because a lot of the movies that I watched around that time were action, but kind of mindless action. And this is such balletic action but with this really beautiful story i think I, also as well I, when you watch it as a kid you're like what if my parents were killed or my little brother was killed and then like, i had to go and live with someone who would that person be if i had to go and live with them and and then you know and then also all of a sudden the person who is your guardian and you know someone you look up to what if they're a killer and then that's what but they're a good person and then it asks you all these questions about, oh, what if I could kill someone? What if I, oh, a professional assassin? That'd be quite cool. Someone's got to do it. And it's just like everything about it. It's got so much heart. And like The Fifth Element's one of my favorite films as well. But whenever I've played them in sort of like within a few months of each other, The Fifth Element is unbelievable. It doesn't get anywhere near as close to the level that Leon's at. Like Leon for me is just like, like when people talk about Goodfellas and The Godfather and Taxi Driver, I'm like, I see Leon in that. I mean, like, it's obviously up to the individuals to what the best films are and there's certain films to be classic. But for me, Leon is a better film than all those those films that I just mentioned, like just personally, like what, what, what it makes me feel. And you mentioned Gary Oldman. He's like one of cinema's great villains in that movie. No, not, it doesn't often make the list, but that bit where I don't know what he takes just before they do the raid on the family's oh, house yeah. and the way he crack, cracks that, his neck. Yeah, yeah. like a... <laughs> Yeah, he's obviously on his meds, yeah. That's unbelievable. But yeah, that for me is the that's the one. Right then. It's our first movie, Leon. We've arrived at the climax of your night, Elliot. The final film you are playing to our packed auditorium of you and Eddie Izzard. What is the movie you have selected out of all others to end this trip? I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Predator. Ah, oh, tell me, tell me why. I mean, obviously, you know, <laughs> like I said, as 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 guys the same age, uh, you know, this obviously was a big part of growing up. It's like it's like it's got the Vietnam sort of like jungle warfare element 
it's got the action element, it's got the sci-fi element. I love sci-fi. It's the fact that it's like a movie of two halves. It's got the sort of like cult characters and castings and and it just it just ages it ages so well. It just gets better and better. And I saw the new I saw Prey recently. And I've watched that about three times. That's an unbelievable film. It made me, even though it's its own thing, it made you realize how iconic the original one was. But you just, you don't even see the Predator, do you, until like halfway through. And Mm. and Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think it's his most nuanced performance. He's really like, he really gets amongst it in that. And it's just like adapts to the surroundings and is not overdoing it. There's no like cheesy lines really, apart from the first 10 minutes where it's kind of set up like all the other films of that era. I just, it's one of those ones I can't wait till my, my sons are of an age where I can sit down and watch them, make them watch it with them. And what age is that going to be? Because I, I, I think I watched Predator when I was about nine years old. So like, yeah, I, I think, watched a lot of movies too young. I think uh, in the next few years, like my oldest will be like 10, 11 years old. I think that'll be fine. Like he's already playing Fortnite and, you know, blowing people to shit. But I just don't want him <laughs> to be scared. But yeah, I think Predator's the one, man. Just so, just so you know, like, I was, this was the hardest question. It was between, for anyone who's probably interested, who probably is interested, it was between that and True Romance and Casino. So the the triumvirate was True Romance, Casino, and Predator. Those were the three you were deciding on. Like, Leon's my favorite film. And then outside of that is probably Aliens, True Romance, Casino, and Predator. Also, The City of God, unbelievable film. But those are always, like, when we're talking about my favorite films, they're, like, my go-to but I just feel like based on all the stuff we've spoken about today, especially like reliving moments as a teenager and as a kid and first in my experience, a predator kind of fits with my, where my brain's at right now. But yeah, I think Casino is like Scorsese's best movie, which is, can be quite controversial. Um, I don't know, but every now and again, this guy creeps in there as well, you know? Donnie Darko. Yeah, I think that's unbelievable. Aged really well as well. I can see why it was a tough call going with Predator, but I think it's a real vote of confidence for Predator that of all those movies you just listed, that is the one that made its way to the top. Yeah, but is, I, I, I'm not worried about like what, what scholars may think or what film critics may think or I'm like how that film makes me feel when I watch it still now and how it made me feel when I watched it over and over as a kid or as a teenager. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, well, that's how we end up with our favourite films and indeed the film that we are ending this trip with because that is it. The curtains have closed. The guests are milling out, smiling, chatting and thanking you for (laughs) taking them on an incredible night at the movies. But before you go, Elliot, it's time for this week's mystery question as we ask, what's in the box? saw you with the box. What was in the box? Oh, what's in the box? Okay. The box. Mystery question. Your mystery question this week. Who would you like to play you in a biopic of your life? That's a film no one's going to see. Um, Rami Malek. I don't know. Just anyone with teeth, really. <laughs> Weirdly, if I squint and turn my head to the side, yeah, I can see. I can see that. He's very good. He's already done Freddie Mercury, though, so he might not. He might be like, I've ticked that yeah. box. Yeah, although he does play Freddie Mercury in every film now really well. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Rami. Sorry. Uh, right, that's it. Your taxi has arrived to ferry you back to reality. But before you go, let's recap your trip 
to the movies. Oh, here we go. You are going with Eddie Izzard at 10 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> You're sitting in the middle, in the center. You're having <laughs> revels and sweet popcorn. We're putting posters up of True Lies, Mission Impossible 2, The Father, and Van Wilder Party Liaison. <laughs> We're playing the trailer for Oppenheimer. We're watching the end of The Usual Suspects. We're printing t-shirts with the quote, may the force be with you on them. We're listening to Steeler's Wheel stuck in the middle with you before we watch Leon followed by Predator. Elliot, have you had a good time? Mate, what, what sounds like my life. Sounds like all the best things in life. Mate, lovely to catch up with you. Thank you so much and goodbye. And as Examples Cab carries him away from our virtual cinema, off into the distance, it's your chance to win a pair of tickets for a night out at a very real Odeon cinema. As I said at the start, the lovely people at Odeon have given us a pair of tickets to give away every week, and if you would like the chance of getting those tickets, all you have to do is leave us a review of the show or a comment on our socials. You can leave a review on whichever podcast platform you use, be it Apple Podcasts or other, or you can get in touch on any of our socials, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, where we are at Trip to Movies Pod. The competition is only open to UK residents, and the tickets exclude Odeon Leicester Square and Odeon Lux. And just before I say my final farewell for this episode, don't forget you can find the full ad free video interview for today's example episode and indeed every single guest on our A Trip to the Movies Patreon, as well as early access to the podcast too. And if you'd like to get a taste of those video interviews, subscribe to our Trip to the Movies YouTube channel. And that really is it. I'll be back next week when another guest takes us on A Trip to the Movies. Bye-bye.